Hey, isn't it, isn't it wonderful to be getting back into church and to be getting back together again as a family of God? I think that's just, for me, that is a wonderful thing to see. And uh, to see some faces we hadn't seen in a while, I, I hope that you're ready to get back into life again. And hey, today we, we also have Jamin and Crystal Bailey are back with us. Yes. Hey, as, as y'all know, uh, Jamin is now a chaplain in the Navy and uh, uh, stationed up in Norfolk, and their family is up there, so they're a lot closer than they were when they initially moved away. So uh, if some of y'all want to go visit them, <laughs> I bet they would love for you to do that. And uh, I, do, I do want y'all to be praying for Crystal. I know she is written several songs, and if you've been following on Facebook, you know, you can hear those beautiful songs that God has put on her heart. She's been having some issues with her voice, is that right? Some throat issues, and uh, we just want to pray for her and know that God is going to use her, and He has already used her in so many marvelous ways. Great to have you guys here. We love you, we miss you, and uh, look forward to spending a little time with you. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, some unseen forces that are out there. Core 52 study this week was on the supernatural. Now that's not the TV show, uh, that is the, the actual supernatural that the Bible teaches us is real. You know, we have all had some experience that tells us that there is something beyond us, right? How many of you have come to that conclusion. There is something beyond the physical that we see. Um, it is not something that we can all totally explain. Maybe, maybe it was a near miss for you, where you know that you should be dead, something bad should have happened to you, but just at the right time, something happened to spare you. Or maybe a prayer was answered in a very special way, just at the right time as you prayed. Or maybe you needed some financial support, and at just the right time, it came. You know, some people have a, a fear of the dark. How many of you grew up with sort of a fear of the dark? Anybody here? Okay, I, I, see, I see we have a hand here. Listen, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark too. In fact, uh, I was so afraid of the dark that when I would come to my bedroom at night, I don't think my family even knew this, but I would run and I would hit the light switch and I would dive into bed and I would pull the covers over my head. Now, the funny thing is, like, the covers are going to save you from something bad, you know? But it, I guess it gave me comfort. You know, if I don't see it, it's not there. But something inside us tells us that there is power beyond us. And it, it's, it's not just a natural power. Now, religion has always been man's way of trying to explain what that supernatural power beyond us is. And today, uh, we want to talk about that unseen supernatural world. Sometimes I think that we become so educated that we begin to think that there is nothing supernatural. Science, if you understand science, it, it can explain a lot about our natural world. 
But many people can't believe in the supernatural because science can't explain it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that science can't explain. Science cannot explain miracles. It can't explain it. It cannot explain the existence or the non-existence of God. Even though there are a lot of people that say, well, science is... No, it cannot explain or show that there is no God. It can't do it. It cannot explain the existence or non-existence of Satan or demons. Science cannot explain the supernatural realm. So the Bible is clear that there is a supernatural realm. Within that realm are beings that have supernatural powers, and I'm not talking about Superman, but I'm talking about angels and demons and the powers that are there. And we as human beings, you could say we are both physical and spiritual. We were created in God's spiritual image. So here's the bottom line for today. There is an unseen battle for your soul that's being waged by powers that we don't totally understand. I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but it is true. And the good thing is that God, who is all-powerful, is on our side. He wants us to have the victory. So let's think about this today. There is an unseen supernatural realm. I mean, I think the Bible, again, is pretty clear about this. And uh, Matthew 25, we're going to look again in Matthew. Uh, that's what we're doing throughout this study called The Bottom Line, looking in Matthew and seeing what Matthew has to tell us about some things. And in verse 31, we read, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, I know that, you know, this isn't explaining everything, but it's just sort of, you know, telling us, look, all of this stuff is there. You know, God is there. There are angels. There, there's going to be a, a day of judgment. There's going to be a time of separation. And as we begin to read that, we understand that there is the good side of that supernatural world. There is an aspect of that world that we consider to be good and generous and beneficial to us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit lead this effort to save the souls of mankind. The angels are created beings who serve God. And one of the purposes for angels is to serve those who believe and follow Jesus. In Hebrews 1.14, we read, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And, you know, we know that there are different kinds of angels. There are the archangels. Now, a lot of times, you know, people have tried to depict angels like these sweet little cherubs with, you know, wings on them. But I tell you what, if, if we were to see the archangel Michael, 
If Michael showed up right here on stage, I think we would all be changing our clothes, right? <laughs> I mean, because he wasn't like a sweet little cherub. He was a, a fiery angel. He was a powerful angel. Um, and we, we know that there are discussions about whether there are guardian angels, about, you know, uh, d does an angel follow you around and watch over you? I don't know about that, but I do know what that passage tells me, that angels are here as ministering spirits to watch over us. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's good to know that God has provided that for us. In John 14... We read Jesus saying, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So if the world can't see it, if science can't prove it, we can't believe it. But we know that the Holy Spirit is real because He lives within us. And in John 4, 24, we read that God is Spirit. For those of us of faith, we don't need science to prove this for us. We just don't need it. We know there is a God. And we also know that there's the opposite of the good. There is the bad. But it would be a mistake to think that the bad is like uh, power, as powerful as the good. And we'll get into that in just a second. Some people have become so educated again that they have no room to believe in demons or Satan. But friends, the Bible is very clear. Demons were created as angels, and they chose to rebel against God. They know God. They know Jesus better than we know God and Jesus. But they chose to follow Satan. In James 2, 19, we read, You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I mean, the demons know. They, some of them were in the presence of God. Satan, too, was created as an angel. I believe, it's my opinion, he was created as an archangel. But he was not satisfied with being a servant of God. He wanted to be the object of worship. And so there was a war. And that war has spilled over into our world. A war is being waged for the souls of humanity. A war is being waged for your soul and the souls of your children and your grandchildren and your friends and everybody that you love and everybody that you don't love. There is a war. Now, I think it's important that we understand what God's desire is in this war. What is God's purpose? Well, God's purpose is to save humanity. He wants us to have victory through Jesus. In Revelation chapter 12, we read that they, that is the saints, 
triumphed over him, referring to the dragon or Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. And who is the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. You see, there is victory. This is God's strategy to win the war. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. He gave His one and only Son that we could have eternal life with Him. We hold on to faith, and we have courage to stand by that faith. When we put our faith in Jesus, we can be protected from Satan by the armor of God. And, and I, I love the, the, the way the Bible illustrates this. It is, a, it is a war that's being waged. I mean, we, we have people here who have been in war. You have seen warfare. And this is a spiritual war that's taking place. And so Paul uses a warrior's language to explain what God has done to protect us. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Friends, everything we need to win this war, God has already provided for us. But we must understand that the enemy isn't going to stop attacking us just because we profess our faith in Christ. In fact, he may come at us even harder. And that's why we need, as the Scripture told us, to continually be praying for each other. Now, I want to throw this out to you. Wednesday night, we're having, as far as I know, and maybe this is a shame on us, but as far as I know, the first ever Wednesday night prayer service, totally about prayer. I hope all of you will come out. You know, we aren't eating, and, and I know sometimes it takes a meal to draw people, but there's more than food at stake. 
This is a spiritual war that's taking place. And, and I hope that all of you understand how vital prayer is in us being able to have victory in this war. And so I want to encourage you and your family to come out 6.30 Wednesday night so that we can pray with each other and for each other. And we will have child care. So if you have kids, bring them. They can be taken care of, but we need to be together to pray. Now, not only does God have a desire, but, you know, Satan has a desire too. Satan wants to destroy humanity. Because God created us in God's image, Satan wants to destroy that. He wants to show God that God can't beat him. Well, he's already wrong. Jesus explained that Satan was like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You need to understand, that's what he wants to do to your family. Again, to all the people that you love and even all the people you don't love. In Revelation 12, 7, we read, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Did you catch that the demons were called angels? Friend, don't make the mistake of underestimating the impact and the influence that Satan has on the world around us. That passage said that he leads the whole world astray. He is described as the prince of this world. He wants to use his power and influence to destroy you and everything you love, to destroy faith and all people of faith. That's what he wants to do. And his power is real. I've had friends around the world who know because they see the evil darkness that makes itself evident in their cultures. Now, you know, um, Satan doesn't come at us in America like he attacks people in the third world. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, for us, it's more like he sneaks up on us, you know. He's trying to get a crack into our family. He's trying to bring in the pornography or the drugs or using whatever entertainment industry he can to change our thinking and our, the way that we view other people. He does everything he can to sneak in on us. But I tell you, in the third world, he kicks the door in. He comes at people full force because he wants them afraid of him. And this is why juju and voodoo are so powerful in those cultures because people are so afraid of that evil power that's out there. And that's why my friend Hammer has experienced witch doctors putting a curse on him. I, I've seen people in India who are demon-possessed. 
Uh, there are many occult rituals uh, throughout the world that just sort of perpetuate this attack on humanity. Uh, I've shared this story a long time ago, but had an old preacher friend, Lewis Hall, used to do a lot of revivals around this area, and um, he was over in Haiti one time, and a witch doctor was selling people's fortunes, basically trying to tell people, you know, what was coming, you know, their, their future. And Lewis was in the back of the crowd, and he was just laughing about it. He was saying, oh, this is just a bunch of hocus pocus. So the witch doctor said, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, you don't believe. He said, no, I don't believe this hocus pocus. He said, well, he said, go around the, that building, around the corner, and he said, write something on a piece of paper. So Lewis, I sure will, because Lewis is thinking, I'm going to prove to everybody this guy's just a, a huckster. So he goes around the corner, and he starts to write, Mary had a little lamb. You know, something simple. But then he thought, no, no, no. I'm going to write the day that I was baptized. So he wrote that down. He came around the corner, and he went to that witch doctor. And the witch doctor said, why didn't you write Mary had a little lamb? Then he said, what you wrote was the day you chose your God. But your God is not my God. Now, do you want to know when you're going to die? And Lewis said, nope. <laughs> and I just share that to say, there is power. There, this evil is powerful. But listen, friends, it's not all powerful. Because Satan is not equal to God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Satan is not equal to God. His power is not equal to God. And unless we give him the entrance into our life, he can have no power over us. Friends, our life choices indicate who is winning the war for our soul. You know, it is vital that we make the right choices in this war. Just like a soldier preparing for battle and going into battle, they have to make good choices. They have to make decisions. They have to use the training that they have received to give them the best hope of surviving. And we have to do the same thing. And I think as we continue to read in Matthew 25, you'll see what I'm saying. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a, you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, remember he was going to put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. Well, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And this begs the question for us, friends, one, one of the signs that we are on the right side of this, that we are winning the battle for our soul, is whether we're responding to the Holy Spirit. It seems clear that those who see the needs of people and respond to those needs are considered righteous by this passage. What does the Holy Spirit prompt us to do? He prompts us to feed the hungry, to give something to drink to those who are thirsty, to help out a stranger, take them in, to give clothes to somebody who's in need, to visit the person that is sick, to go see those who are even in prison. And Jesus said when we do this for the least of these, we're doing it for Him. Now what does that mean? Well, I believe that it means that when we help those who can't help themselves, they are the least. They're, they're not powerful. They're not influential. They're not wealthy. They are the least in our society, in our culture. And when we do this for them, we are, in essence, doing it for Jesus. Now, I want you to understand clearly we are not saved because we do these things. These are the deeds that reveal that we are saved. We are saved because we put our faith and trust in Jesus, right? We're saved because we have repented for living apart from God. We are saved because we've been baptized into Christ. We have been clothed with Christ. His Spirit came into us and changed us. And we began to love people the way God loves us. These actions reveal the righteousness that is in our hearts because God's Spirit is in us and we belong to Him. When we meet the needs of the least of these, we are responding to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, on the other hand, we have to ask, are we ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Friends, if we ignore the needs of others, it is clear that something is missing in our soul, on the spiritual side of the ledger. The Holy Spirit is going to prompt us to help people. I hope you know that. The Holy Spirit is going to prompt us. No question about it. And if we don't get prompted, this indicates maybe we are either quenching the Holy Spirit or we never had the Holy Spirit. When you see people who are hungry or thirsty or in need of clothes, do you look the other way and ignore them? Do you avoid helping them because you're so busy? Do you tend to judge people rather than have compassion for them? And I know in this world it's very difficult sometimes 
to discern who to help or who not to help. But I think we have to examine ourselves. This, this passage is pretty clear. The ones who help are the sheep, and they're going to be welcomed in because they're responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that lives within them. Those who aren't helping, those who are ignoring the needs of people are those that either don't have the Holy Spirit or they're quenching that Spirit. I think the reason that people would be cast out is that, again, it's the Holy Spirit that brings us into the presence of God. You may never know whether that person you helped was real or not. Now, that's weird for somebody to say that. But listen to what Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 tell us. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Wow. So that person you're judging may actually be an angel. If we are loving people and responding to their needs because we love God and want to be obedient to Him, this indicates who is winning the war for our soul. So again, friends, examine yourself. Who is winning the war for your soul? We should answer that question before we face the end of our life because the consequences of this war are eternal. The victory belongs to those who live by the Spirit. The winner has already been declared. God wins. Jesus overcame Satan. Through His death and His resurrection, He conquered Satan's stranglehold on mankind because Satan had death. Satan had sin, but Jesus defeated both of those. So whose team do you want to be on? How many of you like to be on the losing team? <laughs> I don't know anybody that really wants to be on a losing team. Do you want to win or do you want to lose? Because in the end, there's definitely going to be winners and losers. Now, I know in our culture that's not a popular thing. You know, oh, let, let the kids, let them tie. There's no winners. There's no losers. But listen, friends, in real life, there is winners and there are losers. In Matthew 25, 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to what? Eternal life. We know that Satan and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 20:10, we read, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, I know there are a lot of people who want to deny that there is such a thing as eternal punishment and eternal lake of fire, but I don't know how you read that and don't understand it. A day of judgment is coming. And on that day, we will discover what the final judgment is. But I think you should be able to know, even now. You should, you should be able to know whether you're in with God or you're in with Satan. Are you responding to the Holy Spirit? Then, on that day, we will know the consequences we will face. 
Some will face eternal punishment. We read in Revelation 20 about the second death, beginning in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now we know death means separation. The first death means the separation of our soul from our body. But the second death means that we will be separated from God for eternity. And not only that, but we will be in excruciating punishment. Those who experience the second death will spend eternity in that lake of fire. If our name is not in the book of life, we know what the destination is going to be. In Revelation 21, we see more details about this. In verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's interesting how closely that passage resembles Galatians 5, 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the truth. We all sin. We all sin. But we can all be forgiven of that sin when we choose to follow Jesus. And He will give us His Spirit to live in us. And when He does, he will live, we will live by His Spirit and we will make the choices that the Spirit wants us to make. And at one time, we may have lived as an unrighteous person, as described there in Scripture. But with the Spirit, we live a different life. And when we do, the consequences are eternal life. These are the righteous. Notice it doesn't say only the perfect go because no one is perfect. It is that they chose the right side. They chose Jesus. They chose to live by the Spirit. They will receive eternal life. Now, what that eternal life will be is a subject of a lot of debate and disagreement and discussion. Some have this, what I think is a misconception that when they die, they become angels. And I've heard a lot of people say something like, well, heaven has another angel. No, this, this is not biblical because angels are created beings in and of themselves. We are human beings created in the image of God. And when we die, we're not going to become angels. We're going to receive glorified bodies. I don't want to be an angel. I want to be created in the image of God. 
We were created in that image, and we will, again, not live eternally as angels. Some believe we will float around on clouds like little cherubs with wings on. And again, I don't, I don't believe this is biblical either. It's a concept that somebody has of heaven, but I don't buy that. Others, like Mark Moore in the Core 52 study, believe our eternity is going to be spent on the new earth. When God renews everything, as the scripture says, but life on earth is going to be very different. Think about how it's going to be different. Revelation 21 we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water, of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Talk about a choice. A lake of fire or paradise? Eternal punishment or eternal life? To be away from everything that we love, to be in the presence of God. Not much of a choice, if you ask me. And what do we give up? Well, we give up living for the world, living for the flesh, living for all the things that bring guilt and pain and struggle in life. And what do we, what do we get? We live for God. We live through the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus, a relationship with God's people. Friends, this is your choice. This battle is raging all around us. We're seeing the wounded pile up as Satan attempts to destroy people's lives. We see families tossed aside as one or more parents decide to live by the world's standards and not by God's standards. We see people we love crushed by addictions. We see others viciously attacked and hurt. Satan isn't going to quit, but neither is God. God has given us all we need for the victory, but we have to make the choice. So friends, make that choice. The supernatural world is there. It's real. As a parent, make that choice for your children. Determine that you're going to do all that you can do to help them grow up and know the love and the grace of God and also be prepared to do battle with Satan. Make the right choice. Open your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit and agree with that Spirit. 
Choose to help those who are in need. Choose to worship God. Choose to seek after righteousness. Refuse to cave in to the pressures of this culture that is really the culture of Satan because he's the prince of this world. And the results of your choice, whatever your choice is, the results will be eternal. Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need to have victory in this war. We know, Father, that Satan is waging a war against us, against our families, our children, our grandchildren. Father, just give us strength. Help us to come to you and rely upon you and, and upon your spirit. Father, help us not to abandon faith, but help us to dig deeper into faith. Help us to hold on to each other and pray for one another because this is real. It's not, it's not a TV show. It's not, it's not a movie. This is real life. So, Father, help us to be there for one another. Comrades in arms in this spiritual battle. We trust you, Lord, to be with us, to give us that strength as we put on the full armor of God. In the name of Jesus.